Let's now to the reading of God's holy word. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless unto our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed of the only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you, Father, for this, your word. We thank you as we once again come to your holy word. It is the only, our only infallible rule for faith and life. And we, as we consider this passage, this topic this evening, we pray that you would truly speak to our hearts and that you would help us to see the truth that is here, uh, that we might, again, be equipped and build up to be your faithful servants. Father, we pray for your blessing now upon your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last time we considered... Um, the duty that mankind has in regards to being good stewards and caretakers of of God's creation. And certainly remembering that we're not to worship the creation and exalt it above God or humanity, and we're not to misuse and abuse the creation. But we're to use it and to care for it to the glory of God. Well, this same rule applies to how we might relate to different aspects of the creation, not just kind of the, uh, the big world out there, but also the things that God has given us to use and interact with on a regular basis. And so, for example, the creatures that God has made were to be good stewards of those creatures, using what we can for food, for work, and for companionship, but not in a way that's cruel, abusive, or unnecessarily driving them to extinction because of our own greed. And the same rule would also apply to our possessions and the things that God has blessed us with, even our wealth. 
God has graciously provided these for us, and we should be good stewards of what he has given to us, using what we have, again, so that we might glorify him. Now, the challenge with possessions and wealth, however, is that they can quickly become idols. And people can worship and serve the almighty dollar and their riches and their, uh, all their, their uh, bank accounts rather than the creator who made them. And this is really the warning that Paul gives to Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 6. Timothy is to charge the rich among them, uh, among the brethren, that they must be vigilant not to put their trust in their wealth and, their, in, uh, and in their possessions, but that God has so blessed them so that they might use the resources that they have to be rich in good works and helping and serving others to the glory of God. And the truth behind this warning really is important to, to keep in mind as we consider what the Bible has to say about economics and wealth and, and possessions. Though the confession uh, doesn't address this topic, we do have uh, several uh, paragraphs in the RP testimony related to wealth and economics that helps guide us, uh, helps to guide us in this truth. But the first thing that we want to remember when we come to the topic of economics and wealth and riches, is that ultimately, it all belongs to the Lord. In fact, understanding biblical economics begins by, with understanding God's sovereignty. Because God is the sovereign creator of all things, all things are His, all things belong to Him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. And here Paul is quoting from Psalm 50. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all, all the birds of the mountains, and the, the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all its fullness. Everything, all of it, belongs to God. And if everything belongs to God, then we're to receive these things as gifts that God gives to us. They're, they don't belong to us. Ultimately, they belong to Him, and He is simply pleased to entrust them into our care. And again, when we think about the creation itself, God has entrusted that into the care of mankind. Well, the wealth and the possessions that we have belong to God, and He has entrusted them into our care. Well, because of God's sovereignty... By His authority and power, we not only obtain, but we use the good gifts that He gives. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. And so, God is the one who enables us to get wealth. And of course, the chief way to get wealth is to work. Faithfully work and accumulate um, and earn to get that wealth. Well, here we clearly see that wealth isn't from ourselves again, but only from God. And we see this even confirmed in the New Testament. James 1, verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow or turning. So every good gift comes to us from God. All that we have, whether it's a, a little, a lot, or somewhere in between, it's given to us by the Lord. And we see this even in God's response to 
Solomon's request for wisdom. Remember, God had asked Solomon, what, what uh, should I give you? And he asked for wisdom. And the Lord responds this way, Wisdom and knowledge are granted you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had before you, nor shall any after you have the like. So here we have Solomon, one of the, the richest men the world has ever known, but all his wealth was given to him by the Lord. And we know that it became a stumbling block for him uh, at times. So God gives wealth, and of course with the cultural mandate to uh, fill the earth and subdue it, God has given mankind to use these gifts that he has, uh, uh, that he has given to them. And of course the purpose of our use of these gifts, again, is the glory of God. Paul reminds us of this, therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything, all that you do, includes how you use your wealth and your possessions. And as we seek the glory of God and the use of these, the, these gifts of wealth and possessions, we must be guided by the witness of the scriptures as to the right way and the wrong way to obtain these things. Now, obtaining goods and wealth through stealing or unjust means is clearly forbidden in the Eighth Commandment. The Tenth Commandment also against coveting what others have and not being content with, uh, with what God has given applies here as well. Not being thankful for what you have, but craving and desiring what others have is just as sinful as obtaining wealth from ill-gotten gains. In this way, we can see that the poor can sometimes be just as guilty of idolatry of wealth, even as the rich may be. And this, of course, brings us to Paul's words in 1 Timothy 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out, and having food and clothing, and these shall be, uh, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptations and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so being content with whatever God has given to us is key to avoiding the pitfalls that come with wealth or, again, with poverty. Being thankful for even basic provision and necessities is how we're called to live. Not stealing, not hoarding, and not being caught up in envy and discontentment. These are the things that we must stay away from. When we consider various approaches, though, to, uh, to gaining wealth and, and economics today, the testimony, uh, Chapter 4, paragraph 11 says this, No existing economic system incorporates all these teachings. And so think about what the Bible, the Bible has to say about uh, wealth and economics. Well, there isn't one economic system that incorporates all of those. Some are better than others, <clears throat> but certainly no system is perfect. And then the testimony goes on to reject various economic systems. And the first one is uh, Marxist communism. It says, we reject Marxist communism because of its doctrines of atheism, necessary class struggle, economic determinism, dialectical materialism, and the inherent illegitimacy of private property. 
Now, obviously, it's, uh, that Marxism would be rejected because of its underlying atheism, right? Those who reject God will themselves be rejected, and we should have nothing to do with it. And when Paul says in Galatians 3 that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, he's emphasizing that Christ has now come to break down every class barrier. That in Christ there's no class struggle. There's no strife, there's no division. And for Marxist communism to thrive, it it seeks to stir up that division strife uh, between the classes. But Christ has come to do away with those class barriers uh, in Christ that there's no none of these struggles, for we all are the same before our most holy God. And in Christ, we are all one in Him, regardless of our of our class. Well, of course, the issue of private property is also a prominent in Scripture. In fact, holding private property was a sign of the biblical blessings of God's covenant. When God uh, made His covenant with Abraham, saying that you were, your descendants will inherit this land, and then later when they enter the land and Joshua is there and they divide up the land, each one is given a portion. And, and so uh, concerned was God with uh, this idea of this private property that the, the, the family would stay in the family, that if uh, they, there were all these provisions to make sure that that um, property always came back to the family. And of course, God, this, God's promise to give Israel this land. Ultimately, of course, we remember, though, that this land doesn't end up being uh, the, the real blessing, uh, that the land was just a picture of the real blessing that God had in mind, and that, of course, is the heavenly treasure. But, of course, throughout Scripture, nowhere do we see God forbidding the holding of private property. In fact, private property is protected. And some people think of the sin of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. But Ananias and Sapphira, their sin wasn't that they refused to give up their property. In fact, they weren't compelled to give it up. Uh, They could have kept it on their own, but they chose to sell their property. But their sin wasn't that they refused to give it. Their sin was that they willingly offered to give up their property, but lied about how much they sold it for. And even if they, when you gain, when you read that passage in Acts 5, you get the sense that if they would have said to Peter, hey, we... We uh, sold this property and we sold it for this much, but we just we wanted to keep this much back and we're going to give this to the church and there would be no problem. But they wanted to make it appear as though they had made a great sacrifice by selling their land and giving the, all the proceeds to the church when in fact they only gave a portion. And that was the lie and that is why the Lord struck them down. It had nothing to do with the fact that they needed to get rid of their private property. They didn't. It was something they willingly chose to do. And so we reject that uh, Marxist communism. Well, uh, paragraph 13 in the same chapter says, We reject that form of capitalism, which holds that men possess absolute property rights, and that the state has no right to protect the weak and restrain evil in economic affairs. Well, here the testimony is basically refuting the extreme view of private property. A person doesn't have absolute rights to property. Just because you have property doesn't mean you do whatever you want with it. 
Again, remembering everything ultimately belongs to the Lord. And of course, we get in a lot of trouble with the, the civil magistrate. The civil magistrate has the right to impose uh, taxes in order to provide services that benefit the nation. And taxes are used for our protection, build roads, and provide communal resources and services. And of course, the biblical teaching on taxes is very clear. Jesus says, Render therefore to Caesar the thing that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And of course, we may kind of have a problem with and justly complain that Caesar takes more often takes than his fair share. And that the structure is, uh, is unfair and unjust. And certainly the government will need to, to give an account for that tyranny. But paying taxes is part of honoring the government authorities that God has placed over us. And the taxes are to be used for the benefit of all the people of that particular nation. And again, we can get in, bogged down the details of how that's spent and how much is taken and all that. But the, the basic principle of, of the government collecting taxes uh, is something that uh, the scriptures support. Well, then in the next paragraph, we reject that form of socialism, <clears throat> which denies the right to own property. We warn against the con- concentration of economic power in the hands of the state, as it tends to deprive men of due rewards of their labor. Again, here, private property is the concern, but going the other extreme from that other extreme form of capitalism, that if the government controls and dispenses all the wealth and power, well, then there's not only uh, an injustice toward those who faithfully work and labor, but there's an encouragement of slothfulness and laziness in those who don't work at all. And so we see certainly this and the, the socialism that is often uh, more commonly promoted in our day. Well, then paragraph 16 notes a particular duty of the church in, in related to economic matters. The church, regardless of the economic system under which it exists, has the duty to speak against social evils such as oppression of the poor. The church must never become the instrument of any powerful exploiting class. And of course we know that there have been times in history when the church has miserably uh, failed in this duty, that the poor and the needy must be ministered to by the church, not rejected and oppressed by them. And James cautions against showing partiality to the rich. In several places in in James chapter 2, For there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit here at my footstool. And then later he says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment, as well as neglecting the needs of the poor. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? And so this reminds us that we need to be open to the needs of those around us, and we ought not to take part in oppressing the poor. Well, we also understand through from the Scriptures <clears throat> that um, we have 
uh, in relation to individual Christians, right? We've kind of been talking in broad sense re- regarding economics. <clears throat> but to be wealthy or to uh, possess wealth, we must remember, is not sinful. There are many in scriptures, uh, in the scriptures, who were wealthy, uh, Abraham was, and uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all eventually became were wealthy or became wealthy. Joseph rose to a power of uh, a position of power and wealth. Uh, of course, Solomon and David and, and Job. So there are many uh, examples of the righteous being blessed with wealth. So being we- wealthy is not sinful. But as we read earlier in Paul's letter to Timothy, that it's the love of money that is the root of evil, not money itself. And many people misunderstand uh, that verse, that it's the love of money, the, the exalting of money, the trusting in money, uh, that uh, from which flow a multitude of problems. But certainly, <clears throat> wealth does present many temptations and obstacles. And and again, P, uh, Paul uh, explains some of those to Timothy. And even Jesus warns, And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Right? Note that Jesus says it's easier, but it's not impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's impossible with man, but it's not impossible with God, as what he goes on uh, to uh, to later say, and so even Jesus acknowledges that there's because the the rich are more prone to trust in their wealth rather than in God. The Christian is also warned about storing up goods and wealth by ungodly means or for ungodly purposes, and so we should not accumulate wealth just to have wealth, but again, we should be careful to use it and be good stewards of it. For the glory of God. In fact, if we endeavor to accumulate earthly wealth, it should be so that we can give all the more to those in need. And Paul says this in Ephesians 4, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. And again, as we read in 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And so our wealth is given to us as a gift. Part of stewarding that, being good stewards of that wealth, is using it to bless others. To uh, and uh, again, ultimately, especially those in need, uh, all to the glory of God. Finally, central to the idea of biblical economics is the returning of a portion of what God has given us back to God as a thank offering to him. And so uh, this is often called tithing, which means a tenth, that we give a tenth back of what the Lord has given to us. And this was the biblical standard uh, in the Old Testament. And recognizing the greater blessings under the new covenant, and the fact that Christ endorsed tithing, the Christian should respond out of love by giving at least as great a portion of his income to the Lord's work through the church. And so, in other words, the tithe is the minimal amount. So we collect in our worship of God tithes and offerings, the offerings being what is above and beyond as God has blessed us. And this giving of tithes and offerings is a requirement of God, and the refusal to give 
uh, really amounts to robbing God. And this is what the problem the Lord had with his people in Malachi 3. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, in what way have you robbed? In tithes and offerings. They were not giving to the Lord as he had commanded. But it's a requirement that should be approached with all joy and gladness and generosity. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, So that each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or in necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. We should not think that that giving our gifts to the Lord is is a, a drudgery, but it is something that we should take great joy in. And of course, the one who gives faithfully, generously and joyfully, will be greatly blessed. In Malachi uh, chapter 3, the prophet goes on to say, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings, that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now this, of course, verse, again, is often taken out of context by uh, the health and wealth uh, false teachers. Does it mean here that we are guaranteed material wealth and uh, health and, and wealth in return? But it is a promise. It is a promise that our needs will be will be provided for abundantly, and our eternal heavenly treasure will certainly be great. And so, being a good steward of what God has given means that we must acknowledge acknowledge Him as the source, not only the source of their gifts, but really the owner of all that we have, that it's just entrusted to our care. It all belongs to Him. And then we must be diligent in our use of what He's given to us for His glory to help the poor and needy and to help the spread of the gospel through the ministry of the church. Again, it all belongs to Him. And He has entrusted these things to our care. And like the parable of the talents... How will we have used them when he calls us to give an account on the last great day? And he will. And so this is what we uh, keep in mind regarding uh, wealth and possessions and, and economics and what the scriptures have shown us, that we would use all that we have for the glory of God. Let's pray. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you because you are so abundantly gracious toward us and you have given us many good and perfect gifts. All that we have belongs to you and that you have been pleased to entrust these things to our care. May we be good and wise stewards. May we be always looking to how we can serve the needs of others around us who have less and that we might also uh, look to Uh, use our wealth to advance the gospel and to continue to grow uh, the kingdom, uh, your kingdom in this world. And we just pray, Father, that you would give us that wisdom that we would ultimately use all that we have for your glory and honor and praise. Again, we thank you, Lord, for enabling us to uh, gather together here as one body in Christ on this day, the Lord's day. We thank you for just the day of worship, the day of rest that you have given. And as we look ahead to the week that is before us, we pray that we remember the truth of which we have gleaned this day and that we would be uh, better equipped to serve you and glorify you and to be faithful witnesses even in this community as we go out seeking to serve you until we return again on the next Lord's Day. 
We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.